Discover FX's Shogun, the official podcast available now. Every legend begins with a story. Listen and explore episode by episode the story of war, passion, and power set in feudal Japan. Join host Emily Yoshida each week with the creators, cast, and crew in this exclusive companion podcast. They dive deep into the twists and turns of the plot, go behind the scenes, and explore the real-life history that informed the limited series based on James Clavell's best-selling novel. Search FX's Shogun wherever you listen to podcasts. Tax season is approaching, bringing potential extra cash your way. Rather than spending it all on an expensive deal filled with yada yada from your current wireless plan, consider switching to Metro by T-Mobile for no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada you don't take yada yada in life don't take yada yada from your wireless provider metro by t-mobile has no contracts no credit checks no surprises and nada yada yada stop by one of over six thousand metro stores nationwide this episode is brought to you by alienware during dell tech fest score game-changing innovations with limited time deals on select next-gen alienware gaming tech new dimensions await with advanced gaming systems like the alienware m18 laptop powered by an intel core i9 processor featuring awe-inspiring visuals liquid cooling three-dimensional audio with dolby atmos and impressive overclocking potential your dream setup amazing prices and free shipping await you for a limited time only at alienware deals. That's alienware.com slash deals. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was so cool. I think you're so talented. Social media is only positive with Zigazoo, the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. In Zigazoo, all community members are verified kids like yours, and all content is fully human moderated. Try out Zigazoo this spring break. Download the Zigazoo app today. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We are joined, as always, with our super producer, Paul, Mission Control Deck, and most importantly, you are you, you are here, and that makes this stuff they don't want you to know. Uh, today, we're, uh, we, we've got to welcome you back, Noel. Uh, you've been on some trips recently. Uh, you have not been tripping necessarily. Well, you don't know that. I don't. I just I, said I, necessarily. I, I necessarily means I'm not saying you had to. Nor deny. I was in San Francisco for for a little while. Uh, that would have been a good opportunity to do that, but it did not cross my path. Mm. In today's episode, for anyone who didn't bother to read the title, you were so excited you just jumped in. Uh, today's episode is about tripping. It's about uh, psychedelics, hallucinogens. So one on. in particular. And mm-hmm. uh, in the past, we've talked a little more broadly about hallucinogens and mm-hmm. psychedelics in our episodes. Avid listeners would remember, did hallucinogens create religion? Or can hallucinogens cure addiction? But today we're drilling down into one specific substance and we've brought someone along with us to help. That's right. We are not uh, diving into this rabbit hole alone. Please welcome to the show our good friend, co-host of Stuff to Blow Your Mind, co-host of Invention, Mr. Robert Lamb. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, we're very excited that you're here, Robert. We we very much uh, are looking to you as an expert well. be- because <laughs> you you not long ago completed a, I believe, five-part series on this very substance on Stuff to Blow Your Mind. Yeah, uh, uh, me and my, uh, my co-host, Joe McCormick, we did a five-part look at uh, psilocybin, uh, psychedelics in general, but with, a, with a, very much of a focus on psilocybin. It's an interesting time for that, especially because I think the tide is sort of turning in terms of not only public opinion, but even just the laws surrounding it is getting loosened up in a lot of places, and there's legitimate research being done using psilocybin to treat things like depression or anxiety or what have you. Yeah, I think the, the research area is, is perhaps the most exciting uh, uh, area, area to look at because there was a lot of progress made uh, you know, back in the 50s and 60s. 
and uh, and then of course things died down almost you know to a trickle to a crawl sure. for decades, and now we're living in a in a, in a true renaissance of psychedelic research. Uh, you know where researchers have picked up where uh, uh, others left off and are you know continuing to to really explore uh, the, the healing potential of these substances. Yeah, and a lot of this has to do with the social mores, right? The the way substances and certain drugs have been viewed over the sure. course of history, right? But before we get too deep into this, let's talk about what we're talking about. What is psilocybin? Okay, well, psilocybin, for starters, is a psychedelic. Um, and, uh, you know, the term itself uh, is from the Greek words for soul or mind and manifesting. Uh, but in particular, uh, psilocybin uh, is a, a tryptamine psychedelic. It uh, naturally occurs in some 200 different varieties of mushroom. And uh, the primary compounds responsible for its psychedelic effects are uh, psilocybin and psilocin, uh, which ultimately amount to pretty much the same thing since psilocybin breaks down into psilocin inside the body. Uh, and, you know, compared to almost, uh, you know, all other known drugs, uh, psilocybin has an exceptionally low potential for abuse and uh, exceptionally few known uh, physiological risks. Right, right. It turns out that many of the urban legends people have heard about people about folks taking magic mushrooms and then going completely insane for the rest of their lives are just that, urban legends. There are also, I believe, no proven uh, fatalities due to this substance. Well, it's – I guess two things are worth worth pointing out. Like for starters, um, a, a certain segment of the population uh, can experience psychological ramifications. Sure. So people with a, a predisposition for, uh, say, schizophrenia mm-hmm. – um, and uh, and that's that's a, a, a sort of something that everyone should always keep in mind. Uh, on the other hand, I mean, they are powerful substances. They're not, you know, it's not bubble gum. Mm-hmm. Uh, set and setting are extremely important. Uh, the, the mental state that uh, that one has going into using the, these substances is extremely important. And so, therefore, it's you know, it's very possible for especially you know a young person who hasn't you know say put a lot of thought into what is going to happen. It's very mm-hmm. possible for them to have a uh, a challenging time. I guess the the thing I'm clarifying here is while all of that is true, there has also been this uh, persistent this this persistent public image yes. of psilocybin uh, or hallucinogens in general as something that someone would ingest one at one point in their lives and then for the rest of the natural span of their of their life they would be functionally insane or unwell or unable to uh, perform as a as a regular member of society and I think that's fake. That's propaganda, right? That's negative PR in the war on drugs. And speaking of PR, just really quickly, we're not, as we do with any ideas we discuss, not saying you should believe this or this is something you should go out and do or saying you should go out and microdose and take psilocybin today. It'll improve your life. We're just going through some of the effects, some of the history, and some of the current research and the news behind it. And speaking of that, there was a study that just came out from Global Drug Survey, to your point, Ben, that polled close to 120,000 people in 50 different countries about their drug and alcohol consumption. And uh, 12,000 people in that survey said they did mushrooms in 2016, and only 0.2% of them said they needed emergency medical care afterward, uh, as opposed to, that was five or six times lower than LSD, cocaine, MDMA, and alcohol alcohol and three times lower than, than marijuana. So, well, And there's also something to be said here about combination of substances. Sure, when, sure. when you do those, there's always a danger there. Um, there's again, someone could die being in an unsafe setting uh, or a situation, right? Yes. Uh, that caused them to behave uh, erratically. Oh, absolutely. And and just to kind of harp one last time on this this point that, uh, both, that everybody's kind of making here, sure. the there is a small segment of the population that should never likely should never try psilocybin but for the overwhelming majority it is not something that's going to cause deleterious effects right yeah one more statistic here it looks like about 8% of the us population uh, people counting people over 26 8% of people over 26 years old have at least self reported uh, using some sort of hallucinogen. Is that number higher in actuality? Maybe, but not not that much. So so again, this, uh, this war on drugs mentality doesn't really track. It is not as if one out of three people on the street are 
tripping their balls off or something. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's yeah. and to Robert's point, it's not something. Well, historically, uh, psychedelics played a more formal role in human experience or a more spiritual role rather than a recreational role. 100%. And that's, I think, in terms of the tide turning, it's starting to be seen more like that instead of just some thing that you pop for jollies at a concert or something like that, you know? This this is something that fascinated me about your discussion on Stuff to Blow Your Mind, Robert. When we get to the nuts and bolts of psilocybin specifically, how much do we know about how it actually works in the human brain? Yeah, well, we, we still don't know for sure the exact neurochemical mechanism, but uh, classic psychedelics appear to bind a speci- to a specific subclass of serotonin receptor, the, the serotonin 2A receptor. And these receptors are found concentrated in the human cortex, which is uh, uh, the outer layer of the cerebellum, uh, which is associated with a lot, of the, a lot of higher brain functions, you know, sensation, speech, of course, language, voluntary action. Uh, you know, so when you take a psychedelic like uh, LSD or psilocybin mushrooms, the active ingredient, uh, the active compounds uh, make their way into the brain and, and uh, sort of act as act as serotonin binding to these re- receptors. Um, but yeah, there, there are a lot of a lot of questions that still remain, you know, about exactly how it works. So a lot of a lot of questions remain exactly uh, in, in, regarding how serotonin really works in our minds. Well, there are a lot of stories that are a little more anecdotal about, or, or I guess let's say tales of what psilocybin actually is and how it functions uh, within the body outside of the medical uh, research, right? Uh, mm-hmm. uh, about it being conscious in some way. I mean, there are all kinds of things we can get into a little later <laughs> in here. I mean, there are stories that you will find across the internet and perhaps hear from acquaintances of yours um, that go in, go a little deeper into the strangeness. But let's imagine that there was like a uh, big pharma type commercial for psilocybin. And let's let's think about what would be rattled off at the end, the things that could be caused. Uh, things like nausea, vomiting, <laughs> abdominal cramps, diarrhea, muscle relaxation, weakness and twitches, yawning, drowsiness, dizziness, lightheadedness, and lack of coordination pupil dilation, tearing, dry mouth, and facial flushing, increased heart rate, blood pressure, and body temperature, sweating, followed by chills and shivering, numbness of tongue, lips, or mouth, feeling of physical heaviness or lightness, and feeling of floating. Yeah, and I was just reading the other day about how uh, how DARPA is interested in uh, in basically harnessing all of this exactly. without the uh, exactly. the mind altering aspect, just so. to, to weaponize it essentially. Yeah. Right, uh, DARPA, our uh, our eternal fourth co-host you know <laughs> uh, so there's there's another thing here when we're when we're dwelling on the anecdotal stuff uh, we do have to say that this very quickly gets us into some of the more out there or fringe concepts beliefs authors and before we before we get to those ideas, which are grand, and many are as beautiful as they are unprovable, uh, but they're all based on not so much the physical sensations people encounter, but the psychological uh, situations they encounter. And uh, this, I think, Matt, is directly tying into some of the anecdotes you've mentioned. Everybody has sort of, a lot of people rather, who try hallucinogens have this kind of hero's journey tale, right? And it, sometimes it's full of Jungian archetypes. Uh, sometimes it's just full of strange perceptions of time and space or even synesthesia. Things much less easy to quantify in a rattled off list uh, at rapid fire at the end of a television commercial. Yeah, I mean the the ineffable aspect of, of it is uh, is always a key factor. Um, uh, Ma- Michael Pollan has an excellent book that came out this year about psychedelics called uh, "How to Change Your Mind," which which I recommend to, to everybody. Just just a wonderful read. Uh, but uh, I, in an interview with Terry Gross, he mentioned that uh, William James once said that the mystical experience of psychedelics is ineffable, yet we try very hard to eff it. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, like, so I think that's a, a big thing to keep in mind with the subjective experiences of um, of psychedelics is that first of all, set in, it's highly susceptible to set and setting. Mm-hmm. It's highly susceptible to your mindset going into it. Th- therefore, it's also highly susceptible to stories you've heard about the use of psychedelics, be it uh, inspiring tales from, you know, various, uh, you know, uh, psychonauts mm-hmm. or uh, sc- the scare tactics of the the moral panic and the war on drugs exactly. that, uh, you know, that popped mm-hmm. up in, in the wake of the counterculture. And then after 
we have had those experiences. We, of course, have memories of those experiences, and memories are highly susceptible to us then tinkering with hey, them as we turn them into yeah. narrative. That's I, I'm sorry uh, for anyone who who can't see uh, because this is an audio podcast. Uh, when you said that, Robert, that's I, I had to point across the table <laughs> because yes, memory is a treacherous territory, right? It's a, it's a domain where you cannot really trust the geography you encounter. Uh, and I want to go back to hallucinogens in general. Uh, I think growing up, at least here in the West, uh, many many children when they encounter the idea of hallucinogens, uh, they encounter a, a very fictionalized representation of this, right? Somebody ingests something. Maybe Alice in Wonderland would be a good example. Yeah, it would. Uh, somebody, somebody ingests something, and then their concept of time and space changes, right? Or size, right? Mm -hmm. And then they begin to see visibly strange creatures, right? The white rabbits and so on. But is that nonsense? Is that true? When people take psilocybin, is, are they seeing visual entities? Or it seems like there's a, lot of, uh, there's a lot of malarkey about hallucination out there. So what's the fact? What's the fiction? Well, I mean, I think a lot of the malarkey does come from media representations of it. Um, and part of that is that it's it's difficult to capture the psychedelic experience in a, a fictional medium, be it a, a book, certainly in a movie. Uh, and then so a lot of the examples we have, they're going to they're gonna be more like a dream sequence. They're going to, um, you know, they, they might not be that well executed. And they're also probably going to play into something that's more dramatic, right? Maybe even something more horrific uh, as a means of just advancing whatever story they're telling. Do you guys remember the book Go Ask Alice? Uh, no, no. So it was a 1971 fictional book for young adults written by – written anonymously. And at the time, like when I was a kid, uh, it was a required book we had to read. And it's basically the story of this young girl who starts taking drugs and ultimately takes psychedelics and – ends up like throwing herself off a building and like dying. And it's it's <laughs> wow. it's now looked at as utter propaganda, mm -hmm. but I was forced to read it and it was in the era of Dare where they come through the school with like a giant suitcase full of every drug and point it out and tell you all about it and <laughs> all of these horror stories. But yeah. I got to say the giant suitcase of drugs just as a kid, I'm like, ooh, I want to try that one and that one and that one. Well, it makes you think of uh, Hunter S. Thompson. Exactly, right? yeah. of course. Which, which of course, the, the book and certainly the movie are, I, I think for a lot of people, are kind of like their first uh, uh, or at least an early introduction into what like the psychedelic <laughs> mm -hmm. experience might consist of. Yeah. And yet at the same time, that movie's completely ridiculous. Of course, <laughs> yeah, of course. Depiction of things, you know, like, uh, I mean, it's wonderful, but it is, it's a highly, uh, it, it highly depends on depictions of hallucination. Mm -hmm. right. Outright the, visual hallucination. The Las Vegas movie? Yes. That country, <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah, just so. And this, this is interesting, though, especially the point about Hunter S. Thompson, because while that is still very much gonzo, right, very mm -hmm. much his genre, uh, there are true events there that that form the kernel of this. So we are reading uh, – what do they always say? You, you know a made-for-TV movie is more or less BS when that little card comes up at the front of the show and it says, inspired by – true events They're inspired <laughs> by actual events so we can say then that a lot of a lot of Hunter S Thompson's work was inspired by true events if not uh, you know with a lot of poetic license but there's still a factual account and if we look back through the the canon you know Hunter S Thompson go ask Alice uh, various shamanic experiences we see that people have been writing about this stuff for a very, very long time and have been doing it since before we figured out how to write things, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, really, you, you look at so many ancient cultures and it's, it's, it's difficult to find uh, an example of one where there's not a, a, a case or a definite, a strong case or a definite case to be made for uh, hallucinogenics playing, uh, psychedelics playing some sort of role uh, in their society. I mean, it was, uh, it was part of shamanistic uh, practices and still remains a part of shamanistic uh, practices in uh, certain parts of the world. I'd just like to jump back really fast to the Maryland Center 
um, physiological effects of ingesting psilocybin mm-hmm. because I think there are a couple in here that speak directly to what we're talking about that are the reason that this type of substance is used in shamanistic pra- practices and has been for so long. Uh, just very, very specifically, the heightened sensory perceptions that that can occur. Yeah, when that, the, that's probably the one DARP is most interested in. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, the time and space being altered, like the feelings of time and space being altered, right? Mm-hmm. As well as the detachment from the self, from the body, basically mm-hmm. the the third personing that can occur with these substances. And it is, it's, those three combined become such a potent um, avenue to explore, I guess, your own consciousness or the, the feelings that you're having within that moment. And, and the single person's connection to the greater universe or Mm -hmm. nature or the spirit, whatever is being worshipped, you know, you can really see it as a potent tool. And it's not as – it doesn't have to be even that lofty. It could be something as simple as your connection to something like television, the concept of like watching television and what that means and how you interact with something like that and don't even think about what it is. Under the influence of something like this, you might see it completely different and question how much time you spend with this box watching other people doing things on TV and your relationship that might seem very normal. Otherwise, all of a sudden you start to question and be like, why, why am I doing this? Why am I putting so much emphasis on this experience? I like that you mentioned that because there are some studies that indicate, if not necessarily psilocybin, some hallucinogens are very helpful uh, with people who are struggling with habits or addictions, mm. right? Uh, anything from uh, smoking to I, I imagine – I haven't seen a study on it, but I imagine what if there's someone who watches too much TV sure, and they're sure. like, drop this, now watch this marathon of Seinfeld. It, it's just associations in general, right? Sure. Like the idea – let's say I'm addicted to cigarettes. In my mind, this is a steadfast part of who I am. Under the influence of psychedelics, you might be able to take a step back and see it as something that you can just very easily cast off or take or leave, you know? So there's a high-level look at the nuts and bolts – of psilocybin in specific, uh, some of the history, some of the current research, and, uh, you know, I think a a pretty accurate look at the controversy and the, the mechanics of the experience, right? But what if there is more to the story? What if there is something beyond uh, the psychological effects that compels our species and has compelled it for thousands of years to, to pursue these hallucinogenic experiences? Zigazoo has made me zigzag. What I mean by that is I swore I would never let my kids on social media, but now I'm setting them loose on Zigazoo. Before I found Zigazoo, I believed all social media was inappropriate for kids. But I feel great about my kids being on Zigazoo. Videos are moderated by actual people before being added to the feed. Zigazoo is a space for kids to post videos they've created and to share them with other kids just like them. And since there are no comments or messaging, you don't have to worry about mean comments on your kids' videos. And you need parental consent before joining Zigazoo. Bottom line, it's a space that prioritizes data safety for kids. Oh, but don't take my word for it. Zigazoo is KidSafe COPPA certified. So weigh everything Zigazoo has to offer. Maybe you'll zigzag too. Zigazoo, a social network for kids. Download the Zigazoo app today. Hey guys, it's Ray from the Bobby Bone Show here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Let's go! Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain from the road to the hills to the trails all over. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating, up to eight passengers, yeah. And with available features like the panoramic moonroof, you can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer. Check out amazing national sales event deals on RAV4s, Highlanders, and more. Visit buyatoyota.com. That's buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. 
Join Metro. They help you stay ahead of the game with nada, yada, yada. That means no contracts, no credit checks, and no surprises. Outsmarting yada, yada means, uh, you know, taxis and stuff. Shady subscriptions. Did you guys ever order something online and you thought it was just like a one-time purchase, but then you found yourself subscribed? Yeah, I had to call and stop payment on something because I had subscribed to it through Apple Pay. And even though I had like put a new card on there, it still was uh, tied to whatever card was associated with my Apple Pay. So I had to like go through this whole process of getting it pulled. It was really, really annoying. Well, that'll never happen with Metro by T-Mobile because you don't take yada yada in life. And you're not going to take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada, helping you stay ahead without compromising on things you love the most. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. Did you know that most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate, but not with 80 Acres Farms? Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled, going from farm to store in days, not weeks. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's no need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. Here's where it gets crazy. (laughs) There's this author named Terrence McKenna. Uh, Terrence McKenna was born in 1946. And if you are familiar with characters such as Timothy Leary, uh, if you are familiar with the the revolution of hallucinogens, right, through, through the 60s into the 70s and so on, then you have heard this name before. You may have read books like Food of the Gods, The Search for the Original Tree of Knowledge. And uh, shout out to my friend Henry if you are listening because uh, this, this is the part of the episode that I think you will find incredibly fascinating. This, this guy is a friend of ours, will sometimes write to me and – try to get us to do another psychedelic episode. So <laughs> you're, you're helping us very much, Robert, uh, because you've read some Terrence McKenna, right? Yeah, yeah. I've been on a, something of a Terrence McKenna kick recently. And uh, yeah, I, I, McKenna is a fascinating individual, a wonderful writer, wonderful speaker too. There's no shortage of YouTube streams and, and whatnot uh, available out there. Uh, you, can, you can listen to him uh, present his ideas uh, to people. Um, he... Uh, you know, I think it's it's fair to, to compare him to Timothy Leary in in a sense. Like in kind of a way, he was kind of f- filling that uh, the void. Uh, you know, filling that uh, uh, the, the place uh, for a you know spokesperson for mm-hmm. the psychedelic experience in the counterculture, especially during the nineteen nineties. Um, but he also, I, I think, in, in many respects, is more uh, feels felt more authentic than Leary. Uh, Leary. Was, is also a, a fascinating individual who certainly said some profound things and and played a powerful role in the counterculture. At the same time, uh, had plenty of faults to go around as well. <laughs> yes, um, and uh, definitely like leaned in to the to the sort of uh, guru nature uh, that was uh, you know that was given to him. But McKenna is fascinating from a number of uh, you know, standpoints. Uh, certainly, his his commentary on psychedelics, but he also you know wrote and spoke about just various aspects of of the human experience. Mm-hmm. This name may be unfamiliar to some of us listening today, but you may have already encountered some of his ideas, right? Because when we talk about a hallucinogenic um, psychedelic experience, we we're humans, right? Our brains are built to kind of categorize and group things. And so it's no surprise that similar to reports of near-death experiences, some hallucinogens and some people's experience using them uh, appear to have trends. And that's when you'll hear people tell you with complete conviction that they have not only uh, gone to a new realm of consciousness, but they encountered something there when they took the substance, right? And and the big question for me here when we're discussing something like this is if you are going to go down – that route of there is a shared experience in some way when using these substances. Is it a shared thing with the humans 
and our biological systems and our, the history of our biological systems? Or is it something with the substance itself that is either unlocking something within us or is imparting something? Uh, which is always an interesting sort of the idea of like a collective it. unconsciousness that people are tapping unconscious people are tapping into kind of or? Mm-hmm. yeah and i think a, a big part of it comes back to what we we do believe that psychedelics are doing right. uh, a basic uh, one of the analogies i love is the, the shaking of the snow globe uh-huh. shaking mm. things up changing your perspective putting you in a mindset that could enable you to overcome various addictions. Uh, again, that's one of the areas where we see some some wonderful um, you know research results. Uh, but uh, and, and again, it's not the psychedelic substances themselves that that uh, are are treating or could be used to treat addictions, uh, but it is the the state that they invoke the psychedelic experience itself. And and so. If you're, if you, you know, if you're put in a state where suddenly you're seeing everything from new perspectives, um, it, it can certainly put you in a, in a state where you can uh, you can have some rather, uh, uh, you know, almost alien interpretations of of what's going on inside your your brain and what's going on inside uh, reality. Re- really quick, um, as far as the research, do you know? We can look this up if if, if no one does. Are, is there any study that goes into like, does it change your brain? On a physiological level, or like is it on more a about level? yeah, or is it more about you remembering the experience and applying that to your life in terms of using it as treatment, or in terms of the lasting impact of an experience like this? Unless I'm forgetting uh, a key study, I don't don't believe there are any any studies that point to like fixed changes and you know the structure of the brain. I wouldn't have thought so either. Yeah. To me, it seems more like I'm learning. I'm having a session where I'm experiencing something, and then I'm remembering that. It almost it doesn't require you to repeat the experience over right. and over again. You can just do it a handful of times in the same way. You can go to therapy. You don't have to be in therapy 24-7. You go occasionally and you learn from that and yeah. you take your experiences and apply them to your life. Yeah, it's, it's not going to change your DNA, which I think there were some <laughs> yeah. some, uh, some, Graham some stories about yeah, yeah. that back in the day. Uh, but yeah, I, th- I think it's it's it comes back to the idea that they are uh, physiologically rather benign, mm-hmm. but psychologically powerful, and that's where the impact is. I did see I did see a study about some hallucinogen. I, I think it was those no, the psychedelic drugs, LSD and ecstasy, not mushrooms. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now, technically, MDMA is not a psychedelic. Right, right. Uh, that I think they they grouped it specifically LSD, and then they also studied ecstasy or MDMA, and they found that there can be some physical alteration of the brain. But to these researchers, let's see who was this. This is. David Olson, who's an assistant professor of chemistry and molecular medicine at uh, UC Davis, what they found seemed to be uh, potentially beneficial mm-hmm. or rather than something damaging. They thought it could have benefits for people with certain mood disorders, mm-hmm. but I haven't, I haven't seen a ton of the, a, a ton of the research that would indicate, you know, what you're talking about, Noel, some kind of massive system wide physical change in the brain. And I I think part of that is because our research was stymied for so long, right, due to some of the social Mm -hmm. concerns and taboos mentioned earlier. And that's why why some of these concepts that are still so very, very out there, you know, the idea that uh, accidental ingestion and then later purposeful ingestion of hallucinogenic materials led to religion, Right or mm-hmm. what, what's the uh, what's the other one? It's the Terence McKenna. We talked about the stoned ape that theory. One, yeah. yeah, that one. Yeah, the yeah, the stoned ape uh, hypothesis, which is which is a, a fabulous, uh, a very entertaining hypothesis. And his book, Food of the Gods, is 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 really uh, I, I found it a really rewarding read. Tell us a bit about that because this goes into those. Uh, the heightened sensory perception yeah. that we talked about. That's right? one of the that's one of the key. So he makes this argument yeah, that uh, that human consciousness emerges in large part due to the consumption of psychedelics by our um, you know our, our, our prehistoric ancestors. And um, he make the, the case he makes is you know incomplete. It's um, you know we, there's no way to prove it, and maybe no way to really disprove it. Uh, but uh, yeah, he points to heightened perception. Which uh, I believe there's been a recent study with uh, with canines or uh, or um, uh, canines or wolves I forget which that uh, that, that show like a similar situation like enhancing really? their ability to uh, in, in the, the case of dogs you know to, to to find their food in the case of hunter gatherers it could have had a, an effect there uh, 
McKenna also made an argument for like um, enhancing the the libido, leading to um, you know to more breeding, and then just sort of a you know an, an evolution of thought and the mm-hmm. uh, you know the rise of language and so forth. Um, and then he he plays a lot too with like looking at like where this would have occurred and how it would have occurred, what substances might have occurred, while at the same time uh, uh, acknowledging that uh, it was written during the dark age of uh, psychedelic research, that there were still a lot of questions remaining and uh, and certain archaeological finds, uh, he said, would need to be made to like fully support his case. And that's, you know, that's one thing that gives him a ton of street cred, in my opinion, is being able to say, okay, also, we have to, you know, wait for proof. Yeah. I think this is possible, but let's wait till we see we see the bones. I, one of the biggest walkaways I have whenever I read some McKenna stuff is I'll say, all right, this is very this is very far away from what maybe the mainstream mm-hmm. thinks, right? Uh, certainly, it's far away from what the U.S. federal government officially thinks about psychedelics. However, you know, you read stuff like that and you go back to, to uh, medieval texts that some really probably intoxicated monks have been working on and then you see the strange art and, and you think, you know, okay, it's plausible. Maybe more people were using psychedelics than we thought, yeah. right? And the symbolism, right, in Mesoamerica, oh, right? Yeah. And oh, yeah. I think we mentioned two various different manuscripts seem to have – what appears to be uh, mushrooms of some sort playing these incredibly important, significant symbolic roles. A really quick diversion. I think this applies, though. I've been reading this book uh, called Sapiens by Yuval Noah Harari, and it's the idea of the evolution of man. And I didn't realize that a lot of pre um, Homo sapien species existed on the planet at the same time. You have this sense of there being this like dr- this graph of like the you know the the slumped over pre man developing into the upright man. But apparently, all of these kind of developed at the same time. And it was Homo sapiens' ability to develop language and be able to tell stories and almost create these sort of belief systems mm-hmm. that led to us becoming the top of the food chain. That's sort of the the hypothesis in this book, and it makes a lot of sense. And to me. You know, maybe the ape that ate the psychedelic mushroom <laughs> and kind of had his perception change would have been the one that started to develop language or create these more abstract ideas of of storytelling. And it's something as simple as me telling you a sort of fictional tale about some animals interacting to inventing something like an LLC, like a corporation or like the idea of money that's all just kind of fictions that we believe and we accept. But that's what separates us from other species that can only say the dog is over there, but they can't can't say, you know, the dog talked to the cat and yeah. create this narrative surrounding that or, or whatever. The, the dog is over there because right. that yeah. is the way to access the afterlife. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right. exactly. You guys, it's because they accessed the overmind. <laughs> right. They got down into the mycelial connections. Yeah. They figured out, oh – it's all one big thing, you guys, and we're just a part of it. And I get the Stone Ape thing is very unprovable, but I think I'm on the same page with you, Robert, that it's fascinating, and I can kind of see how that could be a leg up. Yeah, like I'm, I'm not, I'm not really into, into saying like it's the thing. Sure, but I think there you can certainly make a case that any substance or event or experience that causes a person to sort of step outside of their normal way of thinking. Yeah. Um, and that can be anything. It could be it could be psilocybin. It could be trauma. It could be um, uh, a sickness. Uh, you know, there, there are numerous things that can bring on these states. Uh, like those would undoubtedly have effects on the course of, of human culture over time just because they would be moments where people would stop and say, why are we doing it this way? Mm-hmm. Why am I thinking about the world this way? What if we did it like this instead? Isn't tradition just peer pressure from dead people? <laughs> Come on, guys. The sun will rise whether or not we sacrifice someone. <laughs> I, I, that's uh, be very glib there. Uh, I do want to point out, though, uh, while Harari is an excellent writer, uh, Sapiens toward the end feels a lot more speculative and it feels like his more of his opinions and his beliefs. And that's something we run into with McKenna. Both of these authors, however— I believe we're careful to, you know, are careful to couch things as their beliefs, right? Uh, Like you said, they're not necessarily saying this is the way, this is the 100% 
uh, consistent experience people have. But we do see some trends, and some of those trends are inarguable, and they are easily proven, such as the spiritual uh, use of these substances to sometimes unite communities, right? Somebody goes maybe uh, sometimes to change someone's place in a society, right? You mm-hmm. have you have undergone this rite, this ritual, therefore you are a holy person, or maybe you are now an adult, something like that. Uh, and then also there's this connection to the concept of the other world, the dream world, right? And we, um, I, I wonder how that translates to the modern day. We know that there's still some traditional use of hallucinogens like ayahuasca, right, is still traditionally used mm-hmm. by several different communities. Uh, but are there are there other things? Are there modern analogs? I mean, is I guess part of the question is when people go to Burning Man, right, and they and they take a hallucinogenic substance, are they are they doing something similar to the shamanistic quest, or is it? Is it just recreational? I don't know. That's also a very personal question. Like, how has our use of these substances changed? Well, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, McKenna would have certainly agreed that, uh, like, Burning Man is part of, like, this bohemian thread that he called it, this thing that's, you know, moving us towards uh, an archaic revival, return to, especially in Western civilization, to a uh, to sort of a, almost a Neolithic state of not necessarily not really technology or culture, but our connection with each other and our connection with nature. Um, that being said, yeah, there I'm sure there there are people at Burning Man who are just um, uh, taking uh, substances without a lot of forethought and doing it just for. Uh, you know, entertainment purposes, if you will. And then there are, uh, you know, people who are having profound experiences and, and setting out to have profound experiences. Another big psychonaut, I guess, who is still very much active today is Alex Gray, who I know you're, mm-hmm. you're a fan of. He's an incredible... Oh, yeah, he uh, was at Burning Man. Yeah, he's a visual <laughs> artist. He does these... I don't know how you describe them. They're almost these mandala-esque, kind of where the flesh is stripped away of figures. A lot of times there's sort of mother and, and child kind of imagery, and it's very much this idea of us being soul. And we haven't really talked about that aspect. Of, of the psychedelic experience, but, but I'd like to. But he um, has been associated with the band Tool for years doing art for them, and they did like a listening party for this new Tool record that came out on this giant dragon, like <laughs> Mad Max-looking dragon boat truck thing. I don't know what you call it, but he's a guy who – it's so funny. Like Terrence McKenna, very funny-sounding guy. His voice, the way he speaks, Alex Gray, sounds very similar. <laughs> I wonder if that <laughs> – if there's something about the fact that they've been using these substances so frequently that causes them to almost become a certain way. It's, oh, it's very well, interesting. I don't know about that. Well, I don't know. I we, mean, we, we really can't know, though. I mean, we won't know until there's an opportunity to do a longitudinal study. Absolutely. And I'm not making fun or light at all. They just both have a very similar way that they speak and a way that they kind of – carry themselves and I don't know I, I, I only just heard Alex Gray speak like the other day and I was like he sounds just like Terrence McKenna well well maybe to a certain extent but Terrence definitely had a a real knack for speaking and a way of of stressing certain words mm-hmm. that would come out of his oh, yeah. mouth like he he had a, he had a, a wonderful uh, cadence yeah um Again, he's all over YouTube, so you can find sure. various talks. From he's him. on a Tool song, I believe. Uh, Third Eye isn't isn't there a sample of? Uh, uh, he's not a Tool stuff. Uh, uh, but but he he does yeah. show up in some. Um, I've heard some electronic tracks. There's a there's actually an artist uh, by the name of uh, uh, We Plants or Happy Plants. And they have an album that has an extended sample from uh, McKenna that's really cool. And mm-hmm. I think that artist also did a like a full length sort of documentary uh, that's uh, that's available just for free on YouTube. Yeah, uh, yeah. Wow. DJs love sampling Terrence McKenna because again he has such this vast catalog oh, of yeah. recorded uh, recorded speeches and uh, monologues, and also. I mentioned the longitudinal study, uh, not to not to whoosh on a joke, but to return to one of the things you said at the very top of the show today, Robert. Uh, you talked about this renaissance, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, which in which we are currently living. We're recording this during a renaissance of research into uh, psychedelics into psilocybin. 
But we can't have a renaissance unless it is preceded by some sort of dark age. And <laughs> and that's why we call these things uh, a renaissance. So we know that during the 70s and 80s, there was intense, and, and to the 90s as well, uh, there was an intense push by Uncle Sam to make sure people were aware of at least the U.S. legal opinion of psychedelics, which was that they were up – any dare kid can tell you they were up there with heroin, mm -hmm. with crack and things like that. Yeah, they're Schedule 1 still yeah, in right. most places. And uh, it's it's funny they call it Schedule 1. You know what I mean? Like when does the train leave? I don't know. That's confusing <laughs> when you're a child. Oh, yeah. I mean it's complete nonsense obviously. I mean sure. Schedule 1 means that there's supposed to have no uh, like medical mm -hmm. um, oh, um, yeah. uh, properties at all. But, and yet so you have uh, you know, psilocybin Schedule 1, marijuana Schedule 1, cocaine Schedule 2. Um, yeah, I, I feel like that says well, Dennis, something. Dennis used cocaine. Yeah, yeah. I feel like that, that says something about the people who made the list. And someone's yeah. like, I don't know, man. You know, if I've uh, if I've had if I if I need a little extra kick before the meeting, yeah, oh, it's cocaine is scheduled too. It's it's as it's as flawed as the food pyramid, honestly. But now we see these indications that we've been sort of foreshadowing and talking about during the length of today's show, which are research forays or pushes into things like treating addiction, PTSD, right? Uh, could you could you tell us a little bit about, I don't want to enter into speculation, but could you tell us a little bit about what possibilities people are seeing out there for the, you know, the future of humanity's relationship to psychedelics, as well as uh, the potential findings or research trends we might see in the future? Well, I'd say the big research trends are, of course, the treatment of various addictions. And and a lot of that's going back, like one of the real precursors to that was like pre, um, pre-1970s studies that looked at uh, its usefulness to treat alcoholism. Specifically, they were using LSD because that's what was available back then. And now most of the studies are using psilocybin because uh, it is more readily available. It is less... Um, Tab made taboo by um, you know the, the 1960s. It's also less long acting. Yeah, yeah. You can you can do it without the doctors having to babysit um, right. people for an extended period of time. Mm -hmm. People can go home in the evening. But uh, yeah, we're seeing a, a lot of uh, a lot of advancements in the treatment of various addictions, but also the treatment of end of life anxiety and cancer depression. That that to me is is huge because if if, if we can imagine long term. Uh, in the world using a substance like this to make people just almost if it's just a thing that occurs from some point moving forward where people are just okay, satisfied with the life that they've lived, no matter, you know, what good or terrible things have occurred within that life, but they're satisfied that the end is coming and it is, you know, either not the end uh, you know, not fully the end because of the way this substance is making me feel or that I'm going to be recombined in some way with the universe. Mm -hmm. Just having those positive feelings towards the ends of life for everyone could be an incredible thing for, I think, humanity. Zigazoo has made me zigzag. What I mean by that is I swore I would never let my kids on social media, but now I'm setting them loose on Zigazoo. Before I found Zigazoo, I believed all social media was inappropriate for kids. But I feel great about my kids being on Zigazoo. Videos are moderated by actual people before being added to the feed. Zigazoo is a space for kids to post videos they've created and to share them with other kids just like them. And since there are no comments or messaging, you don't have to worry about mean comments on your kids' videos. And you need parental consent before joining Zigazoo. Bottom line, it's a space that prioritizes data safety for kids. Oh, but don't take my word for it. Zigazoo is KidSafe COPPA certified. So weigh everything Zigazoo has to offer. Maybe you'll zigzag too. Zigazoo, a social network for kids. Download the Zigazoo app today. 
Hey guys, LeVar Arrington here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new Toyota truck, like a rugged half-ton Tundra. Workhorse by nature, powerhouse by design. The Tundra combines raw capability with premium comfort and advanced tech to fuel your wildest adventures. And with the available iForce Max Hybrid powertrain, you can take electrifying horsepower farther than ever before or check out the fully redesigned tacoma delivering trail dominating power and captivating style the new tacoma was born to make your off-roading dreams come true and with new available tech this legendary truck is getting even better and when you buy a toyota truck you buy toyota dependability meaning your truck will hold its value long into the future so visit your local toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com toyota let's go places join metro they help you stay ahead of the game with nada yada yada that means no contracts no credit checks and no surprises outsmarting yada yada means uh you know taxis and stuff shady subscriptions did you guys ever order something online and you thought it was just like a one-time purchase but then you found yourself subscribed. Yeah, I had to call and stop payment on something because I had subscribed to it through Apple Pay. And even though I had like put a new card on there, it still was uh, tied to whatever card was associated with my Apple Pay. So I had to like go through this whole process of getting it pulled. It was really, really annoying. Well, that'll never happen with Metro by T-Mobile because you don't take yada yada in life. And you're not going to take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada, helping you stay ahead without compromising on things you love the most. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. Farm to store in days, not weeks. That's 80 Acres Farms. Did you know most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate? But not 80 Acres Farms. Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's zero need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. I think it just, again, it's all about reframing an experience. It's, it's less about, oh, uh, everything's going to be okay uh, because I see a beautiful light and I'm going to, quote-unquote, heaven or some kind of beyond or universe-connective thing. To me, it's like in the same way that psychedelics could reframe your thinking about smoking cigarettes, it could also reframe your thinking about death. Yeah. And I think that's, that's the important part. And it's something we didn't uh, really touch on earlier, but it's very important, I think, to make – Make it clear that there is this whole dichotomy of like bad trip, good trip mm-hmm. is, um, is 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 kind of nonsense. Like essentially, uh, any report you look at, any any serious study, people are going to have a mix. They're going to um, they're going to have uh, challenging moments, and they're going to have rewarding moments. And that is part of shaking up the snow globe. Is that uh, it's going to put things in a new context. It may put your fear in a new context, but it also may put some of the things you hold very dear in the new context and force you to reanalyze uh, them. I think at its at its most powerful, one of the one of the analogs anecdotally for this kind of experience, at least the more positive end of it, is the revelation that many astronauts or cosmonauts report when they see the planet yeah. by itself for the first time. And they they return back to Earth, hopefully safely, and they're, you know, nothing has physiologically changed in their brain, right? Nothing is, nothing other than the clearly traumatic experience of having to exist in space, nothing other than that has changed them. They literally just saw something and they had this moment that psychologically sent them to a different place and that's where they've stayed. And so when we see people having, you know, tremendously powerful, whether for the good or the ill, uh, experiences on hallucinogens, we have to understand that even if the brain cells don't stay and even if memory does consistently erode and shift every time you're not looking directly at it, uh, that there there is a value to that. Mm-hmm. And I, I have to wonder... 
you know, it, when did the needle begin to swing away from, you know, this stuff being forbidden into this stuff being, I wouldn't say accepted because numbers of usage statistics are still really low. Uh, but I would say it's increasingly going to the mainstream, especially, you know, we've got a lot of Silicon Valley elites who are very much on board with hallucinogens, not just at Burning Man, right? Mm -hmm. And I think we see these people as successful individuals in these are modern days. So now there seems to be this logical, I don't know, I'm tracing it to Silicon Valley, but that's very uh, cocktail napkin math, you know. Uh, now there seems to be this psychological association that says one can be successful and use psychedelics. Well, think about this. Like, what if you combined use of psilocybin with a therapist who is very versed in that in the oh, yeah. same way you might have a shaman or somebody in a, a ritualistic experience guiding you, you know, um, through this experience. What if you could combine, you know, we haven't even talked about microdosing, the idea of taking small amounts of hallucinogens that can have less of a, a hallucinogenic effect and more of just a changing your base level kind of effect. Mm -hmm. But I love the potential for pushing this into the mainstream even more, you know, like going to a therapist who is very well versed in hallucinogenic experiences and can you can dose and then have your session where they may be in the same as a guided meditation or a dream, you know, reversion or whatever, whatever, what have you. You know, I think there's a lot of potential for that that we haven't seen yet. Yeah, and there's a lot of that going on in the, in the underground. Uh, uh, you know, you know, due to the legality, that's it, it, it's where it is. Uh, Michael Pollan talks about this in his book a little bit, where he actually shops around for the right uh, people to go to to have this experience because wow. he, he wants an an experience on par with the sort of the clinical therapeutic uh, experiences that are taking place in these studies. And uh, you know, he finds some people that look maybe seemed a little shifty, uh, <laughs> but then found some people that seemed that seemed uh, like they would be very promising and uh, and and had a profound experience. But yeah, I would I would love to see that that sort of uh, thing coming. I mean, that's coming back into the world, but coming into Western civilization really for the first time. Well, and you may be in luck, Robert, because there is this guy named Christian Augermeyer, I believe is Angermeyer. Angermeyer, yeah, yeah. He uh, he is a very wealthy individual. And he's got some very powerful friends who are also extremely wealthy. Oh, and I always trust people like that. <laughs> well, yeah, that's well, like the that's the main thing, right? Well, he he has means, right? Mm -hmm. And he has an idea because he had a personal experience with psychedelics uh, that he says, "quote was the single most meaningful thing I've ever done or experienced in my life. Uh, nothing has ever come close to it." He wants to, or at least he's expressed that he wants to commercialize in some way uh -huh. or at least uh, mainstream psychedelics and in particular psilocybin uh, in some way, maybe like you're talking about, maybe just more of products, who knows, but it looks as though he's on the route to uh, make those things happen as the legality A changes. route. Now, yeah. one of the we said this, it was just made legal in Colorado? It was decriminalized, right? Decriminalized. No. Are you sure? Maybe Let's it was see. made legal. I thought it was recreationally passed somewhere. Okay, I know it's decriminalized in uh, in Colorado. It's I think Oakland, California, like the single place of Oakland, California. Uh, there are still, I mean, there there are some very strict laws. Yeah, definitely yeah. still in place all over the the country. I mean, even when you get down to the plant itself, I mean, the, yes. the plants themselves, but in this case, the fungus itself, mm -hmm. the spores are particularly highly uh, illegal in California and in Georgia, where we're recording this. Because they're yes. easy to transport too, right? So uh, it's not like you're hauling around a huge marijuana plant, mm -hmm. right? It's much easier. Uh, and yes. But, but not to make the most like obvious like hippie statement yeah. ever, but just how ridiculous is it that, that certain plants are outlawed by the ascendant apes that uh, have uh, you know, destroyed most of the planet. It's true. It's true. Uh, that use them to gain their prominence over the planet. <laughs> and perhaps making them illegal is uh, actually preventing them from pre being a victim of this great extinction in which we live. I'm, I'm spitballing there. Uh, now in Colorado, just in case anybody's outside of Denver and thinking, oh, great, uh, we, do have to, we do have to let you know Mushrooms of this sort are decriminalized 
in Denver. That's right. They're still illegal in Colorado, and they're still illegal in Denver. And I, they're still illegal in the United States. Yeah, pretty, if you were listening to this podcast, chances are you were somewhere <laughs> where mushrooms, uh, where uh, psilocybin mushrooms are quite illegal. And yeah. if so be you're, careful. If you're somewhere where they're illegal, uh, you know, let us know. What are you doing this week? Do you want to <laughs> hang out? Um, speaking of hanging out, uh, Robert, thank you so much for taking this journey with us today. A lot of our listeners right now are going, but you didn't get to this. You didn't get to this. What what else is there? Uh, We have some good news uh, because as as uh, the co-host of Stuff to Blow Your Mind, you and you and Joe McCormick, who appeared earlier in an episode of Stuff That I Want You to Know, have done a deep dive into psychedelics. Uh, where can people find this five-part series? So we did, a, yeah, the five-part series on psychedelics. You can find it at StuffToBlowYourMind.com or just wherever you get your podcasts. You just look up Stuff to Blow Your Mind, and uh, there it is. I do have to say, you know, we, even though we took a deep dive, we, you know, we were not able to explore everything either. It is, you could, <laughs> you could do an entire, you know, series on uh, psychedelics, on even particular psychedelics. And there's still, again, so much that we don't know and are figuring out. And it's a story that changes day to day, too, with that, especially now that the doors have been kind of blown open with this renaissance, as you describe it, with this research. Um, the sky's kind of the limit. And it yeah. does feel like the tide is turning, if a little bit slowly, as things tend to do in the law. Yeah, I mean, right now, the the, the research is very promising. Uh, hopefully, we'll see rescheduling in the future. I, I've heard that there are some serious uh, there's a serious possibility that MDMA will be rescheduled in the the near future due to um, therapeutic advancements that are being made with it and, and in terms of the future with psychedelics yeah I mean there are of course so many questions like who who controls it then is it right. Silicon Valley bros uh, right. is it uh, the pharmaceutical industry mm-hmm. uh, God, it, does, no. does it remain a, kind of an essential part of the underground uh, of course it won't be that <laughs> <laughs> I mean someone's gonna commodify it somewhat you know what I mean I just mm-hmm. I don't know I hate to be negative but but I will say uh, I was reading one of these uh-huh. uh, articles about some of the studies another drug that has been associated with sort of club culture, um, ketamine, mm-hmm. is being used mm-hmm. in very, very high-level clinical trials for treating treatment-resistant depression. Also Based, yeah. very controlled very medical trials. A friend yes. of mine in New York City uh, is, is, is participating, and you oh, get cool. a drip of ketamine that is a very, very, um, you know, um, purposeful dose and you are monitored and uh, he, he said it, it, it's working like crazy. So it's interesting to see some of these things that we've associated with, you know, unfairly even maligned substances that are starting to be kind of like taken a little more seriously. Well, I, I think it comes back to the idea of change that like these are substances that when used properly can induce positive change in individuals and if they can do, make those changes in individuals, then perhaps they can make those changes in, in the culture as well. I mean, that's one of the reasons that people have, have such hope for them. That's one of the reasons that the establishment was so fearful of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and hopefully our future will be defined more by hope than fear. Uh, that's that's what I'm hoping for. Well said. Mm-hmm. Well said. And we want to hear from you off the record or on what is your take? What is your perspective on hallucinogenic substances, psychedelics, psilocybin in specific? Do you feel that your opinion has changed over time? And if so, in which direction? Uh, you can let us know. We're we're all over the internet. Uh, we want to make it easy for you to speak with us. Uh, if you don't feel like the social meds, if Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter are not your particular bag of badgers, you can call us directly. We have a phone number. Yes, one eight three three S T D W Y T K. And if you want to access our Overmind, our Overmind, you can go to Here's Where It Gets Crazy. That's our Facebook group. That place in particular, you'll be able to have a conversation with other conspiracy realists, yeah, uh, and listeners about. And we we slide in there some from time to time as well, don't we? That's correct. Mm-hmm. If you don't want to do any of that stuff, just send us a good old fashioned email. We are conspiracy at iheartradio.com.
Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Have you heard about the social media platform for kids? It's called Zigazoo. It's a great place where kids like me can come together to make fun videos. Videos moderated by real people who review content before it's posted to the feed. I love the dance challenges. I love that it's Kids Safe COPPA certified. Uh, I don't know what that means. It means it has built-in privacy protections for your online data. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network. For kids. <laughs> Download the Zigazoo app today. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. And that makes us FACET for life now, I guess. <laughs> Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Farm to store in days, not weeks. That's 80 Acres Farms. Did you know most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate? But not 80 Acres Farms. Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's zero need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without finger sticks. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM system, you can be confident in your food, exercise, and medication decisions. And all those decisions can lead to big results, like more time in range and lower A1C. Get started at Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com. Slash compatibility.